Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. We've been in a series here called The Final Countdown, and this is message number three. Um, First message, we talked about ill-prepared or oil-prepared, and then last week we talked about an oil spill, where we talked about before the coming of the Lord, there is, and it's happening right now, there is an outpouring of His Spirit upon all flesh. How many want to be a part of that outpouring in the last days? I want to be a part of that. I'm not going to do any review today. If you missed those messages, go back, listen to those on the podcast, or watch them on the app or the website. You can get caught up. But I want to talk to you today on this subject, simple title today. I want to call this, What's Next? What's Next? Hit your neighbor and ask them, What's Next? All right, What's Next? Um, After the rapture, if you guys would, throw that timeline up for me. After the rapture, uh, after the tribulation, what's next? We looked at this timeline last week, and for some of you, I'm sure it was eye-opening. For others of you, it's just something you've kind of known. But we've so far, we've talked a lot about the rapture. That's where we've spent a lot of our time. Today, we're transitioning just a bit, if you will, for what's next after the rapture? What, what's going to happen after the dead in Christ rise and then we which are alive and remain are called up? What happens next? We understand there's seven years of tribulation, but there's also a couple of judgments that's going to happen. And that's really what, what my focus is going to be on today, a couple of these judgments. And, and it's important because Jesus taught us a couple of things. And the Bible tells us that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. How many know that what we do for God matters? That the way we serve Him, the way we advance the kingdom, how we live our lives, it counts more than your job. It counts more than your kids. It counts more than your marriage. That what we do for God matters. It counts, all right? And I'm going to show you that in detail today. Jesus taught us, though, that you and I have to work while it's day. There's coming a time when it's going to be too late to work, too late to serve, too late to do anything for God. we got to work while it's day because the night will come when we are not able to work. Jesus also said that his coming is like a thief in the night. We don't know the day or the hour. We know the time and the season, but we don't know the day or the hour. Hit your neighbor and tell them, get busy. All right? You got to get busy. Jesus said, occupy, all right, do kingdom business until he returns. And so whether or not Jesus returns in our lifetime or not, we have to understand that whether we go into rapture, if, if the rapture doesn't happen before, beforehand, how many know we will die? It is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. All right? So what's next? Judgment, okay? Judgment is one of the things that's going to happen. Um, and one of the questions you get about judgment and the rapture and the end times is, is what will heaven be like, okay? And we're going to answer some of that today, but we're going to start by looking at the last book of Revelation, 
All right, last book of the Bible, the last chapter, starting in uh, it's chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. Here's what John said. He said, Behold, I am coming soon, speaking of Jesus. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus said, I'm coming soon, but he also said, I am coming and I am bringing my reward with me, and I'm going to give to every person according to what he or she has done. If you are new to Christianity, let me be very clear. We are not qualified for heaven based on how good we are. I got to lay this foundation. We don't get to heaven because we served well or because we were good. We qualify for heaven because Jesus laid down his life for you and I, and we put our faith in him, and through faith and grace, we are made right with God. That is what qualifies us for heaven. We are forgiven through the sacrifice that Jesus has made. On the other hand, everybody say, on the other hand. All right, this is important. Um, although our works do not qualify us for heaven, the way we live and the way we serve, it determines how we are rewarded in heaven. And this is important. A lot of people don't like this part of it because we want to, we, you know, a lot of Christians just want to slide in at the last minute. Like, just, just make it. But you got to understand, you take a person who served God for 50 years, laid their lives down, served people, served God, served everybody around them, advanced the kingdom, occupied until he, until he returns, um, their reward in heaven is so much grander than the person who prayed on their deathbed, God forgive me. There's a difference in what they're going to have. In heaven, there is rank, authority, there are levels, there are different rewards, and not everybody has the same reward in heaven. Yes, it's a reward to be there, but listen, what you do on earth determines what you do in heaven and the rewards you get when you get there. Now, for the people who serve real well and love God and love people and serve and share their faith, this is good news. For those of us that just want to slide in on the last minute, that's not good news. All right? But, but here's the thing. God is taking note of how we serve. He's taking note of how we advance the kingdom. He's taking note of how we serve one another. Um, your life, we'll read it at the end of the message, but your entire life, this, this is kind of scary, but your entire life, your entire life, everybody say your entire life, is being written about in one of God's books. Every detail. Some of you are like, oh, no. Now, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. A lot of us, we say, well, I, you know, I don't really want to talk about the things I did wrong when I get to the judgment. You know, I don't want to talk about that. And, and here's the thing. God, God removes your sin away from you as far as the east is from the west. If you start traveling east, you'll never meet west. You'll constantly be going east. If you start traveling west, you will constantly be traveling west. They never meet. They never 
touch. You'll constantly be going in that same direction. That's how far God has removed your sins away from you. Listen, if you are covered by the blood of Jesus, you don't have to talk about what you did in your past. Come on, somebody. We don't have to talk about the mistakes we made or the things in the closet that we don't want to bring back out. God is not holding our sins against us. Why? Because he took out that punishment on Jesus. Give him a praise if you're thankful that you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. It's good news. Now, a little story. This will help me segue, and this is not like a true story, so don't email me. Um, This is just a story to help me segue. Um, There was a pastor and a taxi cab driver who both went to heaven. They were met at the pearly gates by St. Peter. They get there, and uh, St. Peter says, welcome to heaven, and here's what I have for you. And he looks at the pastor, and he says, Pastor, I've got this wonderful three-bedroom house, two-bath, fenced-in backyard. It's all prepared for you. Welcome to heaven, and, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy your time here. And he, then he transitions over to the taxi cab driver, and he says to the taxi cab driver, he says, welcome to heaven. I've got this eight-bedroom, five-bath, swimming pool overlooking the golf course here in heaven, uh, and we've got everything prepared for you, and about halfway through this speech, the pastor says, no, 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 no. I served the Lord all these years. I've pastored faith. I'm, I'm thankful to be here, but I don't understand why he's getting all this, and I, I you know, I just got this three-bedroom. He's got this eight-bedroom. Like, I don't understand, and St. Peter said, I understand, but here's what you have to understand. While you preached, pastor, people slept, but while he drove, the taxi cab driver, while he drove, people prayed. All right. I know, corny preacher joke. But the question then becomes, what will the judgment look like? What's it going to be like? And so we're going to look at two different judgments. The first is the judgment seat of Christ. Now let me say this about the judgment seat of Christ. You want to end up at this judgment seat. This is good news. All right? This is good news. Uh, this is the one we want to experience. The other one, other one we're going to talk about a little later, it's the one you don't want to be at, okay? There's one judgment you want to be at, and there's one judgment you really don't want to be there because it's all bad news if you end up at the other one. Uh, so what is the judgment seat of Christ, and when will it take place? A lot of Bible scholars, if you study this out, they, they, most of them agree that it will take place right after the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the church. If you throw that timeline back up, I hate, can y'all give our media team a big hand because I, I throw them curveballs all the time. All right. So you got the rapture of the church, um, and most scholars believe that the judgment seat of Christ, where he hands out rewards for those who have served him well, It's going to take place, I mean, right after the rapture, probably during this seven-year tribulation period, all right, before the millennial kingdom where we come back and rule and reign with Christ. And so it's going to happen quick, and Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 14. He said, if you're throwing a dinner party, don't just invite your family and your friends, and rich people, he said, because they can repay you. They could throw a party and then invite you back and repay you for everything you've done for them. But he said, when you throw a party, he said, invite the poor, the lame, the sick, the cripple, the people that cannot pay you back. Um, And the reason is because he sums it up in verse 14. In Luke 14, 14, he says, although they cannot repay you, 
you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, I, I love this because I believe in seed, time, and harvest, and on the earth, as long as the earth remains, the scripture says seed, time, and harvest. So a lot of things we do, there's a harvest coming back in this life. But I want to suggest to you today that some of what you do in the kingdom of God is not going to be repaid here because no harvest here could match what you've given here. But there are some things that will be repaid when you get to the other side, when you face Jesus face to face, and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. How many want to hear Jesus say that over your life? Come on, somebody. I want to hear him say, well done. So he said, I'll repay you. So those who are in Christ, we know if they're dead, they're, they're raised from the dead, and they're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Those that are raptured will be there as well. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 says, and he's talking to believers, all right? He's not talking to lost people here. He's talking to saved people. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, most scholars believe, and I would concur with them, that the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for Christians only. And the judgment seat of Christ, you are not judged for salvation or judged for damnation. You're not judged for that. That's already been settled. You've already been saved. But it's, it's the time when God rewards you for all the good works that you did while on the earth. The Greek word translated here for judgment is the word bema, spelled B-E-M-A. It's the bema seat or judgment seat. And during the Grecian games, the Greek games, what would happen at the Bema seat or the judgment seat is that they would hand out awards for the first place winner and the second place winner. It wasn't a verdict of innocent or guilty. It was where they would give out the rewards for what was accomplished at the games. So if they won first place, the, 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 the person in this seat, the Bema seat or the judgment seat would give them a trophy based on winning first place or second place. And just like that would be in the case of sports, in the arena of sports, and all the fathers out there in the natural, you understand that there is a sense of pride when a father is able to reward his son. Imagine your heavenly father this morning through Jesus rewarding you for your faithfulness that you displayed while on earth. How many would agree with me? That'll be a humbling moment. When he rewards us based on our faithfulness. Now, there could be hundreds of, of um, rewards and crowns that are given out. Um, there could be thousands, but we know for certain there's five that is mentioned in the Bible. Five crowns that are specifically mentioned, uh, and they are tied to specific things done while in earth. The first crown is called the incorruptible crown, and this is for the people who run a faithful race. This is important. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 24. It says, Do you not know? that in a race that all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow, not to anybody else, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So this crown is all about remaining faithful to Jesus. It's about not only faithfulness, It's about endurance. Jesus said, it's not he who starts off well that will be saved. It's he that endures until the end shall be saved. So this is the crown that is reserved for people who run a faithful race, who are devoted to Christ and righteous living. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing. I want to make sure we take time with this because this is the crown that's all about people that share their faith. 90% of the body of Christ never shares their faith. Yet there's an entire crown reserved simply for people who are bold enough to share. You say, well, I, don't, I just don't know how to help people get saved. You don't have to know how to take them down Romans Road to share your faith. You know what you got to learn to do as a follower of Christ? you got to learn to share what God has done for you, how God saved you, how God healed you, how God delivered you, how God put your marriage back together, how God helped you parent those crazy kids. Come on, somebody. You share what God has done for you. That is sharing your faith. We're made overcomers by sharing our testimony. But it's also a witness to those that are lost. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Paul said, is it not you? Like, all these miracles that happened during the revival, literally marriages put back together, lost people or, or, or people that were sick being healed. We, we've had tons of testimonies that are still coming in and pouring in. But did you know the greatest miracle in, in, in the world is not sick bodies being healed or cancer being healed or marriages put back together? The greatest miracle is still when someone that is lost comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the thing we should celebrate more than anything else. Give him a praise today if you're thankful for salvation. There is a crown reserved for those who share their faith. All you got to do is tell people what God has done for you. The next one is a crown of righteousness. And and this one's interesting given the series we're in. This is for people who are excited about his return. It's a crown reserved for people who are looking forward to Jesus' return. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. People that are looking for his return. Many people are scared when they talk about the end times or the return of Jesus, but you got to understand that the book of Revelation says, Right up front it says, blessed are those who read these words and blessed are those who hear these words. Every time we start talking about the end times, we should be encouraging one another. And also we need to be reminded every time we preach on this, right now you are blessed simply by hearing about Jesus returning. That's what he said. You are blessed if you read it. You are blessed if you hear it. How many are thankful that Jesus is coming back after his church, after his bride, those that are looking for his appearance? hearing. He's coming back for us. 
There's a crown for it, for those that are looking for it. The next is for a crown of glory, and this one's, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but it's for faithful pastors. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must or because you have to, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I can't sum this point up any better than Peter does right here. Those who are called into ministry, listen to me. I don't know how many of you are called into ministry or pastoral ministry, but if you shepherd people on any level at all, any level at all, don't do it because you have to, but be willing to do it. Keep Like, take that which God has entrusted to you seriously. And he says there is a reward attached to watching over God's flock in a responsible manner. The fifth crown is the crown of life. And this one's for those who suffer. James 1 and 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you've ever suffered on Christ's behalf, a lot of times we think of people who were martyrs or in another nation who are losing their lives for uh, the gospel of Christ. But do you know some people, when they get saved, even in this nation, they lose friends, they lose family members, they, they lose people that they were once connected to. I want to tell you right now that if you have suffered at any level because of your relationship with Jesus, there is a crown for it, there is a reward for it, there's not one moment of pain or suffering that God doesn't take notice of, and he will reward you for your faithfulness, for staying in there even when it hurts. Even when it's painful, there's never been a moment that you suffered for Christ that he had not, has not taken note of it, and there is a crown attached to it. If you're thankful that God will reward those who, who have suffered for his name, can you give him a praise right now? Just a, just a praise break for every person that has experienced pain because they love Jesus. These crowns are not about I preach this because it's biblical. How many know we have to preach the whole Bible? If it's in there, we got to preach it. Um, But these crowns are not about you and I strutting around in heaven with our crowns. It's not about saying, I've got 32 crowns. Why do you only have one? I was faithful. It's not what it's about. John said in the book of Revelation, he saw it. It's not just what John said. You have to understand the book of Revelation It's not revelations. It's one revelation. It's not just words he was saying. He was actually given a vision and saw these things. He saw prophetically what's going to happen. And he said the 24 elders, when they received their crowns, put them on their head. When they saw Jesus, this is going to be a humbling moment. Because all those crowns, no matter how many you've got stacked up, how faithful you've been, it's awesome. You'll probably have a certain level of authority that others won't in heaven. All that is true. It is very true. But when you see the one 
whose nail-scarred hands, you can still see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. The Bible says that the 24 elders kneel at his feet and they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. I don't care how many crowns or rewards we get, when we see the one who paid the price for us, we'll cast every crown, every reward, everything at his feet. Why? Because there's only one name given among men by which we can be saved and that is at the name of Jesus and at that name every knee will bow every tongue will confess he is the only one worthy come on church give him a praise right there he's the only one worthy we'll cast our crowns at his feet because he's the only one worthy to receive them it's going to be a humbling moment let's take a step back with this timeline all the different events that we've been talking about. We've talked about a lot about the rapture and the dead in Christ rising. And according to Luke 14, believers are going to be rewarded early in the process. There will also be, if you throw that timeline back up again for a third time, if you throw that up, you're going to have the rapture, the dead in Christ rise, we're called up, seven years of tribulation, rewards given out, return of Christ where, listen guys, when we're raptured up, it's not, let me just say this, we're not going to hang out in heaven with a bunch of fat baby angels singing. I hate to bust, people pass and go on and, and you know, people say, well, they got their wings today. They're not an angel. I'm sorry, quit saying it. They didn't get a wings. They're not going to fly around with other fat baby angels. It's not going to happen. We are actually coming back to rule and reign for 1,000 years on the earth. There's going to be a battle of Armageddon. We're involved in all that. Uh, that's why I said there's rank, rule, authority. There's, go, there's, there's people in this room that will be leading other troops because you have laid your life down. You're going to have a certain level of authority when you get to the other side. And why are we doing that? Because we're going to, at the end of the day, even Satan himself will have to confess Jesus is Lord. And Come on, somebody. And he's going to be thrown into a bottomless pit to never come out. And God doesn't even do it. When it's finally over, he has one of his angels take care of Satan. He don't even have to mess with it. Don't put Satan on the same level as your God. God don't have to. He flicked him out of heaven. Just a moment, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. The moment pride entered, like lightning, he was out. And then ultimately, God is going to put all his enemies under the feet of Jesus. Now, this, this resurrection and judgment, a lot of people ask, what, what will heaven be like, Pastor? Listen, you're not going to be bored. You're not, you're not going to, you know, fly around like an angel with no direction. That's not what heaven is like at all. The Bible tells us exactly what heaven is like. Here's three points I'll give you real quick. Number one, God is going to establish a new heaven and new earth. That was on our timeline. You remember that? A new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 and 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what's God doing? He's creating this brand new earth and brand new heaven, and the reason that it's so awesome is because now we're, we're able to serve God without the curse of sin involved. 
See, the reason life is difficult and the reason it rains on the just and the unjust and the reason bad things happen to good people is because we live in a world of sin and the result of sin was the curse. But God is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. The curse is going to be removed. And just like Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis walked with God in the cool of the day and had perfect fellowship with God, all that's going to be restored with no shame whatsoever, no guilt whatsoever. You're going to have perfect unity between you and your Creator. You can take your best moment on earth, multiply it by one million, and it will not compare. To what heaven's going to look like. That's why the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those that love him. The second thing about heaven, this is really good news, you will never suffer again. There will be no more, no more pain whatsoever. In Revelation 21, 4, 5, it says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So God's going to wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain, no more rejection, no more betrayal, no more trauma, no more headaches, no more diabetes, no more cancer. Come on, so no more AIDS, no more famine, no more divorce, no more suffering at all. It's done away with. It's why the early church, when they would greet one another, you know how we are, it's like, what's up, man? That's how we greet. In the early church, you know how they greeted? Maranatha. Every time they would see each other, they would say, Maranatha, I greet you, Maranatha. What does that mean? It means our Lord is returning to take us home, and there we will live with him forever. They greeted, when you're going through pain, Maranatha, God is coming to take you home where you will live with him forever. You've gone through a season of depression and suffering. Maranatha, brother or sister, God is coming back to take you with him where you will live with him forever. As long as we're in this earth, there's going to be pain and suffering, but there's coming an end to all pain, all suffering, all depression, all anxiety, all fear, because we'll forever be in the presence of of the Lord. Can you give him a praise right there if you're thankful? I wish I could preach this as well as I feel it. God's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. You'll never suffer again. And number three, you will live with God forever. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's the 20th time that phrase is used in the book of Revelation, where it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and some believe that not not only is this the last time it's used, but they believe that because it's the last time it's used, it's the most important time. And the reason is because God is making a final declaration from his throne, and it's as if God is saying, It's finally all restored. I have finally got it back to the way it started. Kind of like a father who has kids. Maybe they've been gone for a year or two, and they finally come home for that Christmas dinner. There's a sense of, 
we're finally all together. There is coming a moment in God's mind and in his heart when all of his children are back with him, and there's something about that that makes God happy. You know why? Because God loves you. And not only does he love you, he's crazy in love with you. And he can't wait for us to sit around his throne and talk about the things he did for us as our father. He can't wait to have that moment with you and I. Come on, church, if you believe that today. He's excited about that moment. He wants to share that moment with you. I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to try to wrap this up right here. There's something about being a parent that when you when you're, you got your kids all together, when, when everybody's together, it's just a powerful moment. It's a, you, you can't really explain it. But if you've been separated from your children or your children have been separated from you for any length of time, when you finally get back together, there's just something about that. It just feels right. And I believe that's the moment we're going to have. But here's the hard truth of today's message. A couple things I want to give you. A lot of people, they believe that heaven is the default destination. They falsely believe that. Because heaven is not the default destination. When we come into the world, listen to me, until we meet Christ, you have to understand we are destined for hell. We are on our way, fast track to hell. And so you, you'll hear people at funerals sometimes. They'll say, you know, I, and I've, as a pastor, I've done a ton of them, guys. I've done funerals for people that love God, love their family. Everybody had wonderful things. And you just know, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But I've also done a lot of funerals where no one had anything good to say. Well, they didn't really love the Lord, and they didn't love their family, and didn't really do anything good. They were mean all the time, but we won't talk about that one thing. You know, it's kind of, and then you'll have somebody say, well, I'm just glad Uncle Joe's in a better place. And the truth is, Uncle Joe, unless he made a change in that last few seconds that nobody knows about, how many of Uncle Joe probably not in a better place? I know we don't want to hear that part. I understand. But hell is the default destination. It's where we're headed until we meet Christ. It's why Jesus made this sobering statement in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The, re the reality is a lot of people are traveling the broad road. They're traveling the broad road. And it sounds good at a funeral to speak over some heathen that never loved God or his family, never done anything, and say, well, he's just in a better place. That's not always the case. Because if we're not serving the Lord, if we don't know Jesus, I don't know how to say this any, any clearer, if we don't know Jesus, we're not going to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they go through Jesus. And narrow is the gate. He's the only door. There's not another door, which leads me to, we talked the judgment seat of Christ. The last judgment is called the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20. This is the judgment you don't want to be at. Verses 11 and 12 and 15. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb or in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So in, in other words, if anyone's sins was not covered by the blood of Jesus, the Bible is very clear that they are thrown into a lake of fire. Now, some of you will say, well, Pastor, I don't like that part of the story, and that that is so not fair. That's not fair that any that God... Here's what's not fair, that you and I can go to heaven, and the one who was innocent paid the price, had the nails in his hands and in his feet, a spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head, when he done nothing wrong, yet I get to go to... That, that's not fair. If you choose not to accept that as your covering, the alternative to that is hell. But if you choose Him as your covering, how many know you're on your way to a much better place? Come on, give Him praise if you believe it today. Give Him praise if you believe it today. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I know this is a you know, kind of black and white message. And we, we have to, in this moment, understand the importance of eternity. And we have to understand that there's only one way to heaven, only one way, and that is through Jesus. And I believe that most people in this room would say, you know what, I want to live a kind of life that, that God can honor, a kind of life that he can say, welcome in, you've been faithful enter in to the joys of the Lord. I want to live that kind of life. But there may be some people today, and the truth is, if Jesus returned today, you would have to answer. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that. And if that's the case, we want to change that. We don't want you to leave, you know, thinking, I don't know if I'm ready. We want you to leave knowing that you're in a relationship with God and you're ready for heaven. So as eyes are closed, heads are bowed, no one looking around for this moment, no one looking around. But if in this moment you say, Pastor, you're talking to me, I need to make sure things are right. I need to get some things under the blood of Jesus. I need to repent for some things. I need to be saved. Any of those categories, whether online or in-house, for those in-house, if that's you, if I'm talking to you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I need to make some things right today. Anyone at all. There's one here. God bless you. God bless you. Another one here. God bless you. Anyone else? Another one here. God bless you. Anyone else? We don't want to move past this moment. We don't want to move past this moment. Anyone else before we pray? Anyone else? Now I want every head up and eyes open. We're going to pray this together, okay? Three people that are making sure they're ready for eternity. I think that is something we should celebrate and be excited about. Come on, that's so good. Simply, simply pray this. Say, Dear Jesus... I've committed sins. I need you to save me. So I'm asking you today to come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebrate those people. Come on, that made a decision. So good. Prayer team and staff, if you could come forward, get ready. We're going to open up these altars. I sensed it in the before the first service today, the same anointing 
the same anointing that we've experienced these, these last few weeks and even each night of the revival, that same anointing is present. God can heal. He can set free. He can put marriages back together. He, he can do anything that, that, that we have faith for. He can do it. Because listen to me, revival, the, the meetings ended. But revival is not an event. Revival is a spirit we carry. I believe every time we gather together, the lost will be found, the sick will be healed, the broken will be restored. Every time we meet, this is a spirit we carry. So as the worship team comes to lead us, these altars are open. If you need prayer for anything at all, don't leave without it. Give Jesus one more praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.